Good morning and welcome to West. I'm so glad that you went to Lake Norman High School this morning to worship together. We are going to continue in the message series, Fixer Upper, and we're going to talk about rebuilding and remodeling today. I'm going to be talking with you from the airport in Aruba. After deciding or after the plane being canceled last week, I just decided it was so nice there and so much fun that I would just stay. So I'm getting ready to come home today. I thought I'd take another Sunday off. So you get to watch me on video again. Isn't that much better than having me in person? At least it's a shorter sermon if I do it this way. I wanted to see if I could get away with it, like what the level of disgust from you would be if I did another video message. Like that's always been my dream to be stranded on a Caribbean island. And so last Saturday, a lesson learned, don't ever take the last flight home. Take the first flight home. And then that way, if it gets delayed, you still get home. But uh, there was just this feeling of dread in my stomach when Andrew came over with the American Airlines app and said, you know, hey, uh, our flight's canceled. And all of a sudden, all I could picture was Josh Pettit and me trying to explain to him, I'm not coming home. And I'm not exactly sure who's going to preach tomorrow, but somebody has to. And uh, I love Amy Coles too much to call her at six o'clock on Saturday night and say, hey, by tomorrow, I need you to create a message on demolition. And so uh, anyway, that was just supposed to be a joke. I've missed you. I've never been gone from home or from here for that long. So uh, by Sunday afternoon, I had the computer on my legs on the beach because, and I've decided that's a good way to do ministry. I think I could just, we could have a Southeast campus. I really think it would work. But, you know, I'm back and here we are and we're in our second week of this series called Fixer Upper. Last week, we talked about demolition. And so this week, I wanted us to talk a little bit about rebuilding. And so I thought I would use uh, some visual aids this morning as we begin. I thought I could make a cross for us. So I have two pieces of wood up here and uh, I have some nails. Took me a while to figure out like what kind we needed. And so I'm just going to hammer a little and show you that this is how you... uh, do this. I don't know how many of you like to build at home. I am not very good at it. In fact, last night, see, Thank you, Ed Landis. That is a compliment coming from you and all those mission trips that we've done together. Last night, I was uh, asking at the dinner table, I said, hey, for the opening illustration tomorrow, I need, I need two pieces of wood and some nails. And the looks of horror on Scott and Andrew's face as I explained that I was going to be hammering pieces of wood together. And so they sort of looked at each other, you know, and then said, uh, sure, we'll do that. We'll go get you two pieces of wood. And then Andrew said, and we'll pre-drill the hole. And I said, absolutely not. You're not going to pre-drill the hole. Then I'm like standing up there like a fake, you know, trying to pretend to be something I'm not. I said, I can drill or not drill. I can, I really can't do that. I can hammer two pieces of wood together. And they're like, look, we need to minimize the risk of how big of a fool you make of yourself on the stage. And for First of all, if you've been coming to West at all, 
all, you know that that is a normal occurrence and I am okay to laugh at myself. I hope you're okay to laugh at me and with me. And uh, we're here to have fun and grow in our faith and learn about God and encounter Jesus and all that good stuff. But you know, I'm not gonna pre-drill a hole in some wood, but what I did do is practice this morning before worship ever started. I came in here with some nails and hammer and, and decided that I was gonna try. Now, first I had this really, really small nail and it didn't even, uh, it didn't even go the width of the wood, so that was not gonna work. And then we found larger nails. At first I found these things that I thought looked like nails, but they had swirly things down the, the bottom of it. And I've learned that's a screw, that's not a nail, but it looks a lot like a nail. And I really think I could have worked, it could have worked, uh, but I didn't try it because, you know, they wanted to set up the worship scene. So, you know, whatever. But years ago, I went on my first mission trip. Now, in seminary, they don't teach you that when you are on the staff of a church or you're a pastor, that one of the things you need to do is know how to do some minor level construction. I grew up as a single child with my dad, and he was very hands-on. He could fix lots of different things. And so I was always on Saturdays helping him do whatever task needed to be done. So I've grown up around doing things. But in retrospect, I've learned that, or I remembered that he never let me actually do them. I just stood there and handed him things. I held the hammer, I held the nails, I handed him the wood, but he never let me actually do it. So the first mission trip that we went on years ago was in the eastern part of North Carolina, and we were supposed to gut a few houses. And then the second thing was we were supposed to help with a a re-roofing project. And so I'll never forget Gary Deese, who I believe is probably the most patient man ever, and I got up on this roof, and you know, I wanted to show that I was all hands on deck, and I didn't believe that you ask anybody else to do something that you're not willing to do, so we got up there on the roof, and I have a phenomenal fear of heights, so that, I had to get over that, then I was scared we were going to fall off, and of course, I didn't have on appropriate shoes and all that kind of stuff, but I had my hammer, and I had some nails. And Gary said, now look, the shingles are here. All you have to do is you have to attach the shingles to the roof. And I'm sure there's some kind of special nail he gave me. I don't remember back that far. But I do remember that I sat there on the roof with the hammer and I started hammering. Now, the first time that I hammered, I held the hammer just like this. And I had the nail, the tip of the nail with my fingers. And, you know, I... I was hammering like this. And he said, Andrea, we are going to be here for the next year if that is how you hammer. We're never going to get anywhere like that. And he said, you know, if you're going to drive the nail, you need to hold the hammer more towards the end because that's where you're gonna have the power. Well, guess what happened with that? That was not a good idea. It may have been for Gary, but it was not for my fingers because by by the time, you know, I was like, whack, my God. And then my fingers, they hurt because I slammed my fingers. And so we went through this whole process of learning how to nail shingles into a roof. And I can honestly say that now, 15 years later, I don't have any recollection of what I learned, except that there are different ways to hold a hammer and different ways you hold the nail, and you hope that the two meet together. When I was looking at uh, prepping, well, that's the truth. I mean, you hope that the nail thing, here, pull up the picture of the hammer, because I'm realizing that I don't know the right words. 
There is a picture of a hammer. Yes. So look, there's all these parts and pieces. There's like, who would have known that a hammer had a cheek and a face and a neck and a wedge and an eye? I mean, I understand the head of a hammer. I even understand that this is a claw. I understand that this is a grip. But the face and the eye and the neck and all that kind of stuff, that's uh, parts of animate objects, not inanimate objects. So, you know, I had no knowledge that there were all these intricacies to learning how to nail things. Nailing and putting things together is a part of the rebuilding and remodeling process. And, you know, that was just a silly way of trying to say to us that this morning, I want us to talk for just a few minutes about how do we build our lives? How do we rebuild our lives and remodel our lives so that we can experience this amazing, amazing presence and strength that we have available to us that will fill our souls and carry us into our lives and our day-to-day existence so that the year 2018 is the best year yet. You know, it's, it's mid-January, so if you made New Year's resolutions, odds are by now you're finding that you're waning a little, you're struggling with them and thinking, ah, oh, this is a little harder than I thought. So what if instead of trying to make these year-long resolutions, what if we look at each day as an opportunity to rebuild our lives, to build up our lives and remodel them so that we are at one with God and we can tap into all the beautiful and wonderful things that God offers us like peace and and hope and the light and the darkest of times. Those are things that we all need and we need to have a part of our rebuilding and our remodeling. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So this morning, my name is Andrea Smith, and I am the pastor here at West. And if you're worshiping with us online this morning, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. I did realize last Sunday when I was stuck in Aruba that worshiping online was really cool. And I don't know if I lived here, I might do it a whole lot. I don't know that you'd see me. It was like, you know, you just could be comfy and have some some food and beverages around and just uh, still worship together. So that was pretty cool. So if you worship online with us, or if you're one of the people that hosts the chat as we worship. I want to say thank you because that is such a valid ministry here at West. So thank you for being a part of that. We are last week, this week, and next week looking at this thing called theosis. Now that is a big fancy religious church word for the process of becoming in union or at union with God. So it's called theosis. It's the process of of connecting with the divine that exists in each of our lives. And it it has two parts. It has a catharsis part. And that's where you, you rid yourselves of the things that get in the way of encountering the divine. And then it's called theoria, where you focus on what visions and what God is saying to you in your life so that you can then become more like God. We're all created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. That's what the creation story is all about. And so this morning, I want us to 
talk for just a few minutes. How do we do that? It's all nice to say, you know, we can do it. We can feel God. We can, you know, live like God, become like God. But the how of that is difficult. So I want you to think about something in your life that does get in the way, something you need to demolish, whether it's a bad habit or, or thoughts or negativity about yourself that exists in your brain. And now I want us to focus on how we can rebuild that for just a few minutes. And I want to start by doing something. I want you to think back to any name that you may remember from the Bible, from the Holy Bible, any name that you may remember. Surely there's one that is contained in there, any name. And I want you to think about that for just a second. And now I want to ask yourself, did they have the Bible to sit around and study so that they could become more like God? The answer is no. I mean, not even Jesus, you know. He didn't have the, what we call the Holy Bible to sit around so that he could study and, and become more like the divine. And I think we assume that like this baby that was born in a manger, you know, there was just some magic powers that were attributed to him. And, and from the manger, he could do all the things that he did all his life, the healings and the teachings and, and all those miraculous things. And, and he just embodied this divine love. I think we assume that that when Jesus was born and he was that tiny baby in a manger in Bethlehem that he had, he had it all together. And so but that by the time he entered his public ministry, I mean, he was just refining, you know, the, the skills that he already had and the embodiment of God that he already had. So this morning for a scripture lesson, I want us to take a look at just one verse. It's taken from the gospel of Luke. It's the second chapter. It's the most clear and comprehensive vision that we have of the birth of Christ. And we see the shepherds and all that stuff in Luke chapter 2. And then at the very end of the chapter, there's this verse. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit. And he was blessed by both God and people. I want to leave that up there for just a second. Let's read it one more time. And Jesus matured, so that meant, you know, that he didn't come out already having it all figured out. Jesus matured. Growing in both body and spirit. And as he did that, he was blessed by God and people. So there's a lot of good news that is packed in that one little verse of scripture for us this morning. And it is, if Jesus came and lived and existed and he didn't have it all figured out at the very beginning, guess what? You and I don't have to either. He grew. And, you know, whether you are a Bible scholar or not, you have the very tools that you need that already exist inside of you. And that is the presence of God. God lives in and through all of us, whether you know a single book of the Bible or you can quote scriptures off the top of your head or not, you still have what everybody else in this world has, whether they are, again, a scholar or a prophet. You know, you've got it. Think back to Abraham. He's one of the first people that we actually read and study about in the, in the Old Testament. He is the father of many nations, the father of three major world religions. And guess what? He didn't have that book to carry around and study. He had it living already inside of him. He had God, which is divine love and, and that power and that peace and that presence and that hope. And it lived inside of him and, and it spoke to him. 
And so his own theosis, his own process of becoming at one with the divine was where he weeded out all the stuff, the icky stuff that came and started to hold his feelings together with very human thoughts like fear and anger, insecurity. He, he got rid of all that and he listened to this voice that said, go. I want you to go and I want you to do and I want you to be. Now, all of the guys and the ladies and the scriptures had to do that very same thing. None of them have the tools that we have today to be able to be at, in touch and at one with God. I never thought about that until uh, since the beginning of this year. I've been reading this theologian named Richard Rohr. And I'll be glad to connect you with his devotions if you would like. They are, they're just astounding. And the more I read, the more I realize, gosh, I really don't understand it all. But I read this devotion a couple of weeks ago. And it talked about theosis and that it really isn't all that complicated. We as human beings in the year 2018, we make it complicated. But we don't have to. So I thought that tied into the whole fixer-upper thing. You know, we all have stuff that gets in our lives and gets in the way of us experiencing the presence of the divine. But God is there and God lives in and through us. And guess what? God reveals God's self to us. And remember, God is not a man or a woman. God reveals God's self to us through the experiences that we have in our lives. God reveals God's self to us through the experiences we have. Everything. The divine is in absolutely everything. Now it's up to us to tap into and live out that presence of the divine. And, and some people don't. You know, they, they go to the dark side or the presence of evil. But the divine, God, lives in and through absolutely everything. God did not just create people. God created creation and, and all the parts in it. We miss it because sometimes we're just not looking for it. And I think actually, if you want my honest, well, I guess you do want me to be honest because I'm your pastor, but I mean, the, the blunt truth, let me use that word. The blunt truth is, I think sometimes we've started most recently misusing the Bible to be a, a tool of exclusivity, not inclusivity, and to be a tool of of who's wrong and who's right. You know, I grew up with this very literal understanding of scripture, so much so that that's like a hot button for me if somebody says that I believe in the absolute inerrancy of scripture. I mean, it makes my hair stand on end and my chest gets red and, you know, I want to like, you know, no, that's not right. Because guess what I did? And, and I just, I'm so embarrassed to admit to you what I grew up thinking. I mean, for the longest time, I thought there was one man and one woman. I never could quite figure out how the, all the other people came and was there some incest going on because you know there there were no other people so did the women marry the two sons of Adam and Eve now that would be a literal interpretation of scripture so if you say I believe in the inerrancy of scripture meaning that it is without error then you are saying I believe that exactly every word that's one of the beautiful things that I think about United Methodism and and again I didn't grow up wanting to be a preacher by any wild stretch of the imagination but in college I went to this Methodist church and in Boone and they started talking about a God of grace and love and forgiveness and every Sunday I didn't hear that I was going to burn in hell if I did A, B, C, D, or E wrong. I was like, oh, 
This is a whole different God than I've ever been exposed to. And that is the God that lives in each of us. And then we have this really cool thing, which is cool and powerful. It's called the Bible. And there are stories after story of people who have been doing their everyday lives. People like Abraham, he did not wake up one day and say, oh, I want to be the father of three world religions. I mean, he just woke up and, you know, went about his day-to-day business. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And he heard God. What if that happened to each of us? What if every one day we just woke up and, and all of our thoughts focused around, hmm, I think something's going on inside of me, inside of my soul, inside of my mind, and, and maybe God is revealing God's self through that to me. It is all about what we think. Our thoughts, you know, they can, they can be powerful and wonderful things, and they also can be dangerous things. So as we go through this fixer-upper series, and as we look at what we need to demolish from our lives and, and build up, I want us to think about what we think about. Now, that sounds really silly and stupid, but, but listen to it for just a second. I want us to think about what we think about. Because our thoughts, if we're not careful, define who we are. An example of that is when West first started seven years ago. You know, it wasn't supposed to be a church. It was just supposed to be a campus. And honestly, uh, one of the senior pastors told me, they said, you know, this is like you get your cake and you get to eat it too. And, or actually it wasn't a senior pastor. It was the staff parish committee, sorry. But uh, they, they're like, it doesn't work out that way. You don't get your cake and get to eat it. You have to have one or the other. And what they meant was, and I learned it uh, real seriously a couple of years later, is that, you know, you have have this amazing opportunity to to lead a faith community, to lead people to encounter God and God's love and Jesus and, and all that warm, fuzzy kind of stuff, but you don't have to make a budget. And you don't have to worry about insurance. And you don't have to do HR stuff and make sure you have a personnel handbook and all that kind of stuff. You just get to do ministry. I'm like, hmm, what? Surely I could handle the other. And then we got the chance. They gave birth to a church, and guess what? We needed things like a budget. So I believe, and I will as long as I live, that you surround yourself with really, 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 really smart people in all areas. That's how we try to hire here at West. You surround yourself with with great leaders, smart people that, you know, if, if you do your job and you manage well, then, you know, everything works, and then you're all good. People think, oh, okay. She's not an idiot. And that's what I did with the finance. I knew I didn't have any clue how to make a budget for an organization that was as large as a church. So I found some really smart people and and I made sure I was surrounded by them. And I said, here, just tell me what I need to know and I am all good. And they did, and they did that for a while, but guess what? The church got bigger, and you know, sort of as the pastor, you're supposed to know how to manage a budget, and, and I always had this, this crutch, and I would say, you know, it's over my head. I don't know anything about church budgets, and I don't know anything about profit loss statements, and I don't know anything about all that. You just handle it. I'm not good at it. And there are those toxic words that I'm not the only one that say. I guarantee you that probably if we're all honest with ourselves, we all say them. I'm I'm not good at it. I can't do that. 
And then, you know, as the church grew and and progressed and we started doing different things and owned the back to school bash and started a nonprofit to house that and then got a vision for a food truck and wrote a grant and all this kind of stuff and hired some staff, you know, one day in a strategic team that we now call the Pastors Advisory Council, by the way, but uh, the strategic team got together around a table and I gave them all a budget. It was a nice Excel spreadsheet. I won't tell you how many hours it took me to come up with it, but I mean, it had all our income. It had projected giving. It had last year's income, last year's expenses, projected future expenses, where they were gonna fall during the year because some months we spend more money than others. And and I handed it to everybody around the table. And uh, Barry Brown, who is our financial guru, I will always be grateful to him. He looked at me and he said, don't you ever say you don't know how to do budgets again. And don't you ever say that you don't know how to do the finances of a church again, because you do. Hearing Barry, whom I respect infinitely, say that to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do a budget. I was so excited. And now here we are, and we have a couple of nonprofits. We run a food truck. I mean, you know, I still screw up all the time. And the people that are around me know that. And uh, they give me permission to do that. Because we're all on this process of rebuilding. It's up to us what we think about it. It's up to us how we do it. So this morning, I would want us each to embrace the fact that, guess what? We don't have to tell ourselves that we can't or not smart enough. We can tell ourselves that we can Because guess what? We have this power and this energy and this presence that exists in each of us all the time, every day. Now, I can guarantee you I didn't learn finance by myself. I really tapped into the knowledge of the really smart people around me, but I prayed about it a lot, I'm not somebody that normally gets on the the floor beside my bed every night. Adam Hamilton does that. I really wish that I would have that self-discipline. But I do remember there were some times that we had to make some really big decisions. And we had to take some pretty significant steps of faith. And, And I would just feel this overwhelming sense of failure. And I would kneel down on, on the floor beside my bed. Nobody would be home because I didn't want them to think I was crazy. And I would kneel down on the floor and turn my hands over. And with tears streaming down my face, I'd say, all right, God, I got nothing. Nothing. I need you. I need you to be everything. Sometimes in our lives, you know, we get cocky enough to think that we can do it. You know, that's sort of what we do in our lives now, right? We want to be successful. We define success by the things that we accomplish and and all that kind of stuff and money and power and prestige. That's not winning. Winning and rebuilding so that we have the ultimate life that we were created to have is being willing to admit, say, you know what? I know I'm a failure. God, will you fill me? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? I want you to take a look at this quote by Gandhi. Your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. 
and your values become your destiny. So if you start at the beginning of the quote, your beliefs, and you skip all the way down through all that process, which I do believe is so true, your beliefs end up becoming your destiny. If I had not changed my attitude about my abilities to manage an organization financially, this would not be here. I don't know what I'd be doing for a living, but it it would not be this. I had to open myself and be vulnerable to admit that, you know, I've got some stuff, I've got some insecurities that are, that are so much bigger than my beliefs and my abilities. And I had to give that to God. And what that means is you open yourself up and, and you're willing to have that moment of just absolute desperation and say to God, I don't know what I've got in my way right now that is keeping me from experiencing you, but God, take it away so that I can be filled with you. We each have that same power and we each have that same opportunity. Remember, Jesus grew. He didn't come out of the womb already having it all figured out. Jesus grew and matured and became the ultimate vision of us, of the Messiah. God reveals God's self to us through our life experiences and the people that are in our lives. He does it now or God does it now, just like God did it thousands and thousands of years ago. So will you tap into that this morning? Will you tap into it every day during this year? Will you wake up and say, all right, God, here I am. I'm yours. I don't know what you want to do with me. I don't know how you want to do it, but I am here and I am yours. Change my thoughts so that they may be your thoughts. Change my actions so that they may be actions that would be like you, like Christ. And guess what? If we do those things, then we're doing that fancy church word called theosis. You and I will be becoming like God. We will be becoming like Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the way. I'm the truth and I am life. If you follow me, if you'll embrace this, you're going to have that. And that is the promise that is there for us this morning. I want you to take a look at this video. It was the, and don't, I mean, I don't know if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you like CNN or Fox, so get past that for just a second. I mean, you know, because it is a video that was made by CNN. So all the Fox News supporters, I just thought I'd go on and lay that out there. Please don't like go, oh my gosh, she's showing CNN. It's just a powerful video because it shows real people. Real people. It is so easy to look back at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Noah and Esther and Ruth and Naomi and Deborah and all those people in the scripture and say, well, I'm not like them. You know, they're Bible people. I'm just, I'm just me. Well, again, guess what? Those people started out just being them. And God used them because they were open and they were willing and they were vulnerable. This video that you're going to see is uh, 17 Heroes or 10 heroes of 2017. And they are not, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize winners. They're just people like you and like me. We're gonna watch the video twice. First, I just want you to watch it and and get a feel for it. And then the tech team is gonna roll back into the video. The second time, I want you to, to pay attention specifically to the people and what quality they had because Guess what? We all can be seen in some of these people. Our gifts and our skills can be seen in some of these people. And, you know, if we will embrace it and we'll live it, then we become who God created each of us to be. Take a look. 
You guys need any meals? From Missouri, pitmaster Stan Hayes and his team of volunteers have responded to dozens of natural disasters, providing nourishment and comfort to survivors and first responders. Samir Lakani from Pittsburgh recycles and distributes discarded bars of soap from hotels across Cambodia, improving hygiene and creating jobs. Amid violence in Chicago, police officer Jennifer Maddox gives young people on the south side a safe haven to learn, grow, and succeed. Whoops. Mama Rosie Mashale is raising a generation of abandoned and sick children in her impoverished South African community, many who've lost parents to AIDS. Iraq War veteran Andrew Manzi's free surf camps on South Carolina beaches bring therapy and healing to fellow vets and their families. In memory of her son, Leslie Morissette provides computers and robots to children battling serious illnesses, keeping them connected to school and friends. She is walking. Mona Patel helps fellow amputees rebuild their lives through peer support, resources, and transformative athletic activities. Kali Sweeney's Books Before Boxing program provides mentorship and academic tutoring, guiding kids from Detroit's toughest neighborhoods towards a brighter future. In Southern California, Aaron Valencia teaches car restoration to young people in need, giving them trade skills, guidance, and hope. And finally, Amy Wright. Through her nonprofit coffee shop in North Carolina, she's creating jobs and community for young people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. You guys need any meals? From Missouri, pitmaster Stan Hayes and his team of volunteers have responded to dozens of natural disasters, providing nourishment and comfort to survivors and first responders. Samir Lakani from Pittsburgh recycles and distributes discarded bars of soap from hotels across Cambodia, improving hygiene and creating jobs. Amid violence in Chicago, police officer Jennifer Maddox gives young people on the south side a safe haven to learn, grow, and succeed. Whoops. Mama Rosie Mashale is raising a generation of abandoned and sick children in her impoverished South African community, many who've lost parents to AIDS. Iraq War veteran Andrew Manzi's free surf camps on South Carolina beaches bring therapy and healing to fellow vets and their families. In memory of her son, Leslie Morissette provides computers and robots to children battling serious illnesses, keeping them connected to school and friends. She is walking. Mona Patel helps fellow amputees rebuild their lives through peer support, resources, and transformative athletic activities. Kali Sweeney's Books Before Boxing program provides mentorship and academic tutoring, guiding kids from Detroit's toughest neighborhoods towards a brighter future. In Southern California, Aaron Valencia teaches car restoration to young people in need, giving them trade skills, guidance, and hope. And finally, Amy Wright. Through her nonprofit coffee shop in North Carolina, she's creating jobs and community for young people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. What would it look like if the food truck grew so much that we could provide jobs for a few people that would not find one anywhere else. What could that look like? How many of you travel? Will you clap? Really? I'm, first of all, I can see your head. So I know there's more of you out there than um, that. And I also think this is the most I've spoken aloud in two weeks. Um, 
How many of you go anywhere? Like if you stay in a hotel once a year, will you clap? Okay. You know those little soaps that you get in the hotel? You know what I'm talking about? Guess what happens? If you bring them back to you, with, with you from wherever you go to West, if you bring them back to West, you make a difference in the life of a homeless person in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, because we take them, we take them to Scott Osterberg, the pastor of News Story, and these men and these women who everything they own is in a Rubbermaid bin, everything they own in a Rubbermaid bin. You make sure they can be clean and they can have dignity and integrity as they go out and try to exist from day to day and look for jobs or go to work at the local McDonald's right around the corner. That's what a lot of them do. But they don't have enough money yet to have a home. Or they're battling, you know, recovery from addiction and and they've just had some bad luck. If you will take the soap, just the soap, the shampoo would be a nice bonus, but just the soap from the hotel and bring it, you make a difference in somebody's life. How many of you drink something out of a can? Will you clap? Some of you are just determined today. You are not going to clap. I really believe that. Um, If you will bring your cans, your empty cans, and don't be embarrassed if it's beer, okay? I know you're like, oh, I'm not going to bring my beer cans to church. It is okay, all right? Bring your beer cans, bring your Diet Mountain Dew. I think I used to fully fund the scholarship with the too many diet drinks that I drank. Uh, Bring your cans to worship and Put them in a bag. The Leota family, Mike and Elizabeth Leota, their daughter died tragically in a car accident on Mother's Day weekend many, many years ago. And they started a scholarship for Lake Norman High School and Mooresville High School that goes to a soccer player. And, you know, Mike and Elizabeth, they... They're not gonna, you know, be on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or the real couples of Beverly Hills because they are rolling in fiscal abundance. They take what they have and they use it to make a difference. And and you can be a part of that by just bringing your empty aluminum cans here to the high school and just sitting them out front. If you watch uh, as you come and go on Sundays, you'll see little bags with aluminum cans in them. That's what that's for. We each have some skill in our lives that will make a difference in this world. And I promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we will wake up and we will say, God, use me, fill me, show me, and you will tap into just one little thing and then do something with it, you will find that you feel a connection with the divine that is so real and so powerful. The next time you find yourself in that deep, dark place, you won't be alone. Let us pray. Gracious God, in this new year, may you show us, will you show us how we can fix up our lives so we can be more like you. It is an amazing opportunity to be at one with you and and that's what we seek this morning. So rid us of the stuff and the ick that gets in the way and let us be like and embrace you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
So Jesus grew and he became strong and he lived into and found the continual favor of God. He grew and became. You don't have to do all this tomorrow. It's just one tiny step. Don't set some monstrous goal or resolution for yourself that you can't keep. Just one tiny thing, one small life change tomorrow and be open to the presence and the favor of God. Go in the grace and the peace of God the Father Almighty in the name of the God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.